Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Think about this question to yourself. You don't have to answer out loud. Just think about it to yourself. What do people mean when they say, make yourself at home? Why is it that people say, make yourself at home? You just think about that to yourself. I think people mean, make yourself at home. We want you to feel comfortable here. We want you to treat this space as if it is your own home, because in your own home, you are most comfortable. You are most familiar. You are most normal as it goes. You're the most you that you can be at home. You don't ask to open the fridge. You don't ask to open the pantry. If you live in a house that you have to ask to open those things, I'm sorry for you. You sit on whatever part of the couch that you want. You put your feet up. You do your thing. You're like, man, I've got space. I've got comfort. There's like a blanket and a pillow. I know how the remote works. Like the buttons are worn out. I'm just so normal. Like it's just home because it is the most us that we can be at home. So when people say, make yourself at home, they're saying, hey, we want you to be you. This is the place that you ought to be the most you. Maybe we could say it like this, at home, you can be what you were designed to be. Now, why do I tell you that? Because this series over the next few weeks is going to follow the people of God in a place that is not home for them. A place that is outside of their comfort zone, a place that is unfamiliar to them. And yet, we're going to see them live faithfully to God and what that means, and how they do it, and what that means for us where we live today. So if you'll just remember, let's just take a brief review of the people of God. They roll out of the wilderness, into the promised land. We're in the land. Oh no, there are people here that we have to fight. So war after war after war, God raises up judges to help conquer the land and the people that would come against the people of God, and then from judges to kings, and King Saul comes in place, then King David comes in place, and then King Solomon comes in place, and he wrecks the whole thing. He's like, man, that girl is pretty, but she's not an Israelite, even though that's not a big, we're just going to get married anyway. And then idolatry enters into the ranks of the people of God, and they, they are led astray into worshiping false gods. And so God sends prophets to the people of God. Hey, turn from this. Turn to the one true God. Turn to what is best. Turn and live the way that you were designed. God has not designed for you to worship what is false. Worship what is true. Come and worship the one true God. And prophet after prophet, voice after voice would come and speak. And the people of God would harden their hearts and they would not listen to the warning. And so we find from Jeremiah, like in Jeremiah 25, 8, and 9, you can just listen to this. This is what happens after warning, after warning from the idolatry. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. And so God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah and he says, okay, you're not going to turn from this idolatry, then I'm going to send Nebuchadnezzar and he's going to rout you and take over Jerusalem and take you back to Babylon, a place that is not your home. And that's where we find the people of God in Daniel chapter 1. So have that in your minds as we read Daniel chapter 1, 1 through 7. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. He took over. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand 
with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So he comes, routes Jerusalem, takes over, and then goes into the house of God, takes the vessels in the house of God, like where the Israelites go and worship God, right? Like tabernacle, holy of holies, but like the, the, the house of God takes all that stuff out, takes it to a temple of a false God. What kind of disrespect is that? Look at verse three. And the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The kings assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So this is the people of God going into exile at the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. But let's just define this on the front side, because we don't use this word all the time. What is exile? So here's what how we're going to define it. First way we're going to define it is this. Exile is this, just simply living in a foreign land. Exile is living in a foreign land. The people of God are taken by Nebuchadnezzar to live in Babylon, a foreign land. They were in the land that God had promised and they come are routed by Babylon to go and live in a foreign land, a place that is not home. Maybe more specifically, we could understand exile like this. Exile is living in a place that is not God's ultimate plan for his people. Exile is living in a place that is not God's ultimate plan for his people. Maybe you could say like this. It's living in a place that is not God's best for his people. It's not God's best. And so they're in exile. But what was Babylon like? What was exile in Babylon like for the people of God? Because when we think exile, we think, okay, I remember one time when the people of God were captured, it was by Egypt, and they were made slaves. We don't think slavery. It's way different than that. It might be a little bit better. And maybe we can understand what exile was like by understanding the ruler in Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. What was he like? Well, first, he was a military giant. He was this unbelievable, ultimate military commander. He is the one who went and routed Egypt and took over. He is the one who went into Jerusalem and took over. In fact, he rose to the throne because he was such a great military commander. But he wasn't just a military commander and really good at it. He was an architectural giant of the day. Building walls and roads and temples and gates. And it was ornate. And there there was... There was like murals of lions and of dragons, and it was just this display of power. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. Some research shows that under Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Babylon became a city which was not only wondrous to behold, but also a center for the arts and intellectual pursuits. It was a a place that people flocked to. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar said this of Babylon, of bricks with blue stones on which wonderful bulls and dragons were depicted. I covered their roofs by laying majestic cedars lengthwise over them. I hung doors of cedar adorned with bronze at all the gate openings. I placed wild bulls and ferocious dragons in the gateways and thus adorned them with luxurious splendor. Why would he do that? Here's the reason. This is what he says. 
that people might gaze on them and wonder that this ruler built this city called Babylon so everybody would look and see there's nothing like Babylon. Another scholar said that Nebuchadnezzar marked the city's regained status by raising it to its greatest prominence ever. He made Babylon the largest, the most splendid, and in some eyes, the most glamorous city the world has ever seen. And this is where the people of God go into exile. What else is Babylon like? By 600 BC, Babylon was so impressive, it was considered to be the center of the world. And this is the place that the people of God are. It's a place of wealth. It's a place of power. It's a place of dominance. It's a place of education. It's a place of fame. They said this of Babylon, women enjoyed equal rights with men under Nebuchadnezzar's rule. Schools and temples were plentiful and literacy, mathematics, the sciences and craftsmanship flourished with the tolerance of interest in other gods and other faiths and beliefs of other cultures. So they're not just wealthy. They're not just powerful. They're not just, they're not just beautiful to look at, but they're culturally progressive. They're adjusting with the times. They are ever relevant. Friends, what does that sound like to you? The place that you live. Unless you read the Bible and think that it has nothing to do with where you live. The United States of America in the 21st century sounds a lot like Babylon. Powerful, rich, progressive, the center of the world. Maybe we're not so far from Babylon. And this is the place that the people of God find themselves in exile, away from home, in a foreign land, outside of God's best. And what's life like for the Hebrews there? What's life like for the people of God while they're there? You get a picture of it in verse 3. Look back at Daniel 1, verse 3. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel. So he, Nebuchadnezzar says to the chief eunuch, hey, gather up these people, bring them back to Babylon. What kind of people? Here's the kind of people that he says to gather. Both of the royal family and of the nobility, verse 4, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. He says to his eunuch, Go get royal people, go get noble people, go get pretty people, and go get smart people and bring them to Babylon. And so that's what he does. And the people of God are led into exile outside of God's best, away from their home, into a foreign land, into Babylon, into this powerful, wealthy, progressive, technological, amazing city. They were given jobs and they were welcomed in to the king's courts and they were given the king's food and they were given the king's wine and they were given authority even in the kingdom. That doesn't sound like slavery in Egypt. So maybe you might be thinking, that doesn't sound so bad. Exile doesn't sound so bad. Exile even sounds like an upgrade. They were in the land having to fight folks for the land. Now they get led into Babylon and they're like, dang, this ain't so bad. But yet we get people 
that say things like this in Psalm 137, verse 1. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. The psalmist writes, while in exile, we were by the waters of Babylon, where we had been led into exile, and we just wept. Remembering Zion, remembering Jerusalem, remembering the promised land. Why? This place is great. Why would you cry? Why are you sitting on the banks in Babylon crying? This place is incredible. Like it is the most advanced place to be. Why are you crying? Because they know this isn't home. This isn't God's best. No matter how great this might seem, it's exile. You know, why we are, you know why we're here? Discipline. You know why we're here? Because we turned our backs on God and forsaked his best for us. This is at home. And so they sit on the banks in Babylon and they weep, saying, I want to go home. I want God's best. And this isn't it. And that's what you're going to see in the book of Daniel. A few of these Hebrew guys that are teenagers when they're let in, they're your age when they're let into exile. They're going to go live faithfully, knowing this isn't home. They're going to be let in. And Daniel's going to stand before the king, and he's going to get to a place of authority. He's going to refuse to eat the king's food because he doesn't want to defile himself before his God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to be pulled before the king and say, bow before the idol or I'm throwing you in the furnace. And they refuse to bow because God says no idols. Daniel's going to be drugged into the presence of the king and say, interpret the dream. And he will boldly pray to his God that God would give him what he needs in the face of the ruler. Daniel will refuse to forsake his God and praying to his God, even if it costs him his life in the lion's den. Why would you do that? In a place that's so great, you've got authority. Why would you do that? Because you know this isn't home. This is not God's best. We want to go home. This is exile. Now, what does that have to do with you? What do you care about exile? Here's why it matters for you. Here's why it matters for the 21st century League City, Texas teenager. Because we're in exile. If you are a follower of Jesus today, 2019 League City, Texas is not your home. You were made for something different. This is not God's best, friends. You're a citizen of a different kingdom. In fact, all throughout the Bible, God refers to the people of God as, as citizens, strangers, aliens, sojourners, exiles. Check this out in 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, check this out. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, those that are just passing through, I, be, 
I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. His instructions to the people are, you ought to live differently. Why, Peter? Because you're sojourners and exiles. This isn't home. You belong to a different kingdom. Paul will say in Philippians chapter 3, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep yourselves on the, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Check this out. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 14 says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The message to the people of God from all, from out, all, throughout all history is, this is not home. You belong to another kingdom. And so 2019, Christian teenager in League City, Texas, you are in exile. This is not home. This is not as good as it gets. Why does that matter for you? Because some of you want to live faithfully for Christ so bad in your schools, on your teams, in your neighborhoods, in your clubs, wherever it is that you are, you want to live faithfully. But as you do that, you know what happens? It costs you. It costs you socially to stand for Christ. It costs you socially to speak the gospel to people. It costs you socially to abstain from the things that God says to abstain from and to step into the things that God says to step into. It will cost you socially. It will cost you in all arenas of your life. Why? Because you're in exile. This isn't your home. So those of you who are trying to walk with God faithfully, moment by moment, day by day, and you're saying, I'm doing what God says. I'm doing what God says. I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm reading the scriptures, and I'm walking in obedience, and it's costing me. Why? Because this isn't home. You're in exile. You belong to a different kingdom. And so you can be encouraged. This isn't as good as it gets. This isn't the end of this. We're just sojourners. We're just exiles. So you can live faithfully. But maybe the question for some of you is, how do I do that? How do I live faithfully in a place where it's not popular to be a Christ follower? Like, like I'm not saying like to label yourself a Christian. I'm saying to actually be devoted to Jesus, to speak the gospel to people, to be bold, to be different even. It's not popular to do that, to not conform. It's not popular. How do I do this? That's why we're in the book of Daniel, to show you what it looks like to live as a person of God in a place that's not home. The second reason this matters for you Because whether you realize it or not, if you're apart from Jesus, you're in spiritual exile. You are outside of God's best for you because of your sin. If exile is outside of God's best, then sin has made us outside of God's best. That we are outside of God's design. We have rebelled against God in our sin. We have chosen our own way. We have said self over God. And apart from Jesus, you'll die in exile. 
But listen to me. We're in exile, but Jesus is the way home. Jesus is the way home. He even says in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the point. You're in exile, and I'm the only way home. So friends who think, this Christianity stuff, it doesn't matter. This Jesus stuff, it doesn't matter. I'll worry about it later. You're in exile whether you realize it or not, and you'll die in exile apart from Jesus. Jesus is the way home. So put your faith in Jesus. Say today, for the first time in your life, I want to go home. I want to know how to get home. Jesus is the way home. There's no other way. There's no other way. So then what should this change? If we're in exile, as followers of Jesus, we're in a place that's not our home, what should this change? (coughs) First thing is this. We must resolve to live faithfully to God while we are in exile. We must resolve to live faithfully to God while we are in exile. Why? Because if we're not careful, we'll get lulled into thinking, exile's not so bad. It's not so bad here. I mean, this kingdom is pretty great, right? Power, money, Fame, popularity, education, technology. We're progressive. We're culturally relevant. And if you're not careful, Christian, you'll get lulled into thinking, exile's as good as it gets. And you'll forget this isn't home. I mean, can't you just hear the voices of of the people that are around Daniel and his friends? Would you just bow down to the idol? This is ridiculous, man. Like that guy's the most powerful guy around. You've got it good here. Just lay your head down. You can fake it. I don't care. Lay it down. No. Just eat the food, Daniel. Just eat the food. It's, I mean, it's good. It's not that big of a deal. It's just food. No big deal, right? No. Hey, just stop praying to your God. Don't you know this is going to cost you? It might even cost you your life. Just stop. No. And as you live in exile, you'll face the same kind of stuff. Just conform. Hey, just make sure you push the envelope physically with your girlfriend. If you want to be a man, you have to. So push it. What are you doing? What are you, a girl? What are you doing? Hey, just make sure you live for likes on social media. You want to be popular? You better have so many likes on on Instagram. You better have so many followers. So you'll post whatever it takes to get noticed. No. No. Hey, you have to have a boyfriend in high school. You have to. Like, you just have to have a boy. Don't don't you want to, like, doesn't everybody want somebody? 
Doesn't everybody just want to feel loved? Like, just, just, just compromise, just get whatever moron gives you attention for 10 seconds because he's a guy and he says that he loves you because it makes you valuable, right? No. No. So friends, you're facing the same kind of stuff in exile. Conform, conform, by the lie, by the lie. All the while, God is inviting you into something better, saying, live faithfully. It might cost you. It might have cost Daniel and his friends their lives, but they stood faithfully because they knew, God, you're way more valuable than this. You're way more valuable than the king's food. You're way more valuable than this position. You're way more valuable than having this great life in this great city. And I will lay it down to be faithful to you. So friend, could I just encourage you as you live in exile, you do not have to conform to what is going on around you. You don't have to be like the culture around you to fit in. You can be different and it can be hard and God is pleased by that. You don't have to live for likes. You don't have to find social status. You don't have to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You don't have to push the envelope physically. You don't have to try the parties. You can be different and faithful to God and God is pleased by that because that's how you live in exile. The last thing, why this, what, what should this change? It should make us live faithfully because if we're not careful, we'll get lulled into believing that it's not so bad. And lastly, because God's not wasting our time here in exile. He's using it. He's using it. What is he using it for? He's using it to advance his kingdom. He put the people of God in a foreign place. And you will see over and over again, Daniel and his friends live faithfully and the people of Babylon will look in wonder. What kind of God rescues people out of a fire? What kind of God shuts the mouth of a lion? He must be God. And so friend, You think it might cost you to live faithfully. It will. But you know what will happen? As you live faithfully to God where you are, not conforming to the culture, God will get tons of glory because of it. People will see and they will wonder, what kind of God does that? What kind of God creates a 15, 16, 17-year-old boy that says, you know what? I'm going to honor women. What kind of God does that? What kind of God creates a girl who says, you know what, I'm just going to leave these guys behind because because something better is ahead of me. And let's just be honest. I'm 16. I'm not going to get married for like another seven years. So I'm just going to pump the brakes and not buy the lie. And over and over again, you're choosing to be faithful. And people look on and they think, that's different. That's different. Who does that? Who does that and is is satisfied? Some people do that and they're bummed out, they're depressed, but you do it and you're satisfied like there's something better because your God is better. The last thing that God's doing for you in exile is using it to draw you back in. That's what he's doing for the people of God. Jeremiah speaks about exile in Jeremiah 29. You know Jeremiah 29 for one verse. But check this out in Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. This is Jeremiah speaking of their time in exile and what God is doing with it. 
For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for for Babylon, that's how long you're going to be there. I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You know when he says this? Before they go in exile. God's saying, hey, I got this. I got good plans for you. You're going to exile, but I'm not wasting it. I'm not wasting it. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. You will, when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God is using exile to discipline and turn the hearts of his people back to him. And that's what God's doing for you. He's using a place that's not home to say, turn your hearts, turn your eyes. See that this is not as good as it gets. You live for a different kingdom. Don't conform. This is not as good as it gets. Turn your eyes, turn your hearts. I am better. You can do this. You can do this. You've got what it takes to live faithfully. Longing for a place that actually is your home. 